Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning out there. I was trying to up our guest for the show this morning. It was almost finished with what I was sharing her, but we will be fine. Good morning to those of you out there in Blog Talk Radio land and Rainbow Soul and the many ways that people catch off the shelf. I want to thank all of you for joining us here this morning. Before we go into introducing you to this amazing guest, and you can learn more about her, her book publishing, and how maybe you can avail yourself as an author of working with her company. Let me just leave this thought, and I, I started this several months ago, and this is this is from Les Brown, this quote, and it is, no matter what happens, no matter how far you seem to be away from where you want to be, never stop believing that you will somehow make it. That is really something uh, in the roller coasters, up and downs of life in this world to keep in mind. No matter what happens, no matter how far you seem to be away from where you want to be, never stop believing that you will somehow make it. And yes, my friend, you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show off the shelf where we, that's the spirit we move in. No matter what happens, no matter how far away you seem to be away from where you want to be, never stop believing that you will somehow Make it. Welcome to this Saturday, October the 19th show, and thank you, thank you for joining us, especially our loyal listeners who have been with us for 14 years. We hadn't in the 15 years, you guys, 15 years. So my off-the-shelf listeners, I asked you, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Do you think you can finger the person who's responsible for the murder mystery that cloaks Raymond and his friend's life. Now, I tell you, Raymond, is his his scene when it starts out, He he there is a complicated father-son relationship. His father has untreated alcoholism, but he raised him by himself. He could have walked off and left him, but he didn't. So it's something, if you read the story, people start out hating his father. But by the end of the story, hopefully, you can see how relationships evolve. There's also a soulmate relationship between Raymond and Brenda that, I, I hope last stays with you forever when you see their journey and what a journey they have. And there are these four friends, Raymond and his four friends, and they come from different parts of the United States. One is from Italy. He, they come from other countries. But this bond that they have, nothing can break it. And these men go on to do some incredible things. One goes on, uses his college football, and he makes it in the NFL, Raymond is on his way to the Olympics. I mean, they are academically sports. They are really, really moving in a good direction. But something happens when Raymond first gets to college. He is witnesses a murder, but he's not involved in it at all, so he thinks. Then he makes meets one of his lifetime friends who is involved. So do you think you can figure out this murder mystery before it's revealed in the book. And then if you value relationships, I really encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. This is not a this is not a traditional romance at all. This is deep relationships, complicated, but hopefully will leave you changed, especially as you look at your own relationships. Again, you value mystery, you value relationships not just a romantic relationship, but a relationship between friends and this complicated relationship between a father and a son, I encourage you to stop what you're doing and get a copy of Love for Over Me right now. I, I wouldn't even wait. 
And you can get it in ebook and in print format. Love for Over Me by Denise Turney. And let me know how you enjoy the book. Thank you in advance. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Dr. Norma McLaughlin. Norma is a minister, book publisher, and co-pastor of New Life Bible Church and New Life Christian Academy. She is the chairwoman of Norma McLaughlin Ministries. She's an Army veteran and former teacher. And she has taught on Navajo Indian Reservation in Dilkin, Arizona. She earned her degree, has earned degrees from Fayetteville State, Virginia Tech, and Central Michigan. She got her doctorate degree from North Carolina State. Now, when she retired from Fayetteville State University, she was serving as Associate Vice Chancellor of Academic Affairs. I worked in academic affairs at the College of New Jersey, so that some some understanding of, of some of the work that's similar that she may have done. Norma is all, was also the first African-American to integrate Wentworth High School, an experience that had her see the uh, just unimaginably ugly side of racism. I encourage you to visit Norma online at chosenpen.com, C-H-O-S, is it chose, C-H-O-S-E-N-P-E-N.com. And hopefully she'll correct me if I'm wrong. C-H-O-S-E-N-P-E-N dot com. You can go over there now as you listen to her feature interview and learn more about her, what got her to where she is now, how did she get here, and what her company, Chosen Pen, is doing, and how you might be able to get published through Chosen Pen. And we're absolutely delighted to have Norma with us this morning on Off the Shelf. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Norma. Good morning, good morning, and I thank you so much for having me and that wonderful introduction. We we are delighted to have It's chosenpen.com, correct? That's correct. Okay. It started out as chose because, uh, yes, but it was a misprint, so it is chosen, C-H-O-S-E-N. Okay, okay. I want to make sure we have that correct chosen pen so our listeners can hop over there and visit you as they enjoy today's show. Now, the first few questions I'm going to ask you, Norma, I ask every guest who comes on off the shelf because our listeners wanted to get a little backstory on the guest before I launch into the questions. So to kick off today's show, could you please tell off the shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Well... I grew up in a little town, Reedsville, North Carolina, uh, which is north of Greensboro. And I uh, was a child of a, a Baptist minister, Baptist deacon, and we farmed. Uh, fortunately, I was a child whose parents owned their own land, owned their own home. All of our, my grandparents and all of us did at that time, which was very unusual uh, for families such as ours in our particular area in our, in our uh, county. But I worked very hard and very diligently. I uh, helped with tobacco. I plowed behind a mule. I drove a tractor. I fed hogs. I did. I, I planted gardens. I did everything from the time I was that I can remember, uh, from age six, uh, of age three or four to six through eighteen, when I left uh, left the army to join the army after high school. Um, so my life was one of work, uh, which was a strong work ethic. I did many, many jobs um, in order to provide for myself. I was a very, very independent 
uh, person, an individual, and always wanted to have my own monies and my own things. School, oh my I God! How, how old were you when you started? What did you? How old did you say you were when you started working on your family farm? Did you say three? I was probably three when we first started working. My my parents also had secular jobs outside of the home, so we. Um, my first memory is helping my father chop wood, and uh, we had this old wood uh, cutting machine we called jalopy. And we would go in the woods because during the day, he worked at night, so during the day I would help him go into the woods to gather wood to cut. And then we would take that wood throughout the neighborhood and sell it. And since I was always with him at that time, he would allow me to collect the money. So that was my first memory of actually working. And then from age six, I would walk up and down the street in our neighborhood with a lawnmower and more and ask people if they wanted their yard mowed in the summer. And in the winter, I would ask them if they wanted their bathrooms cleaned or if I could help you know, clean their houses or whatever. So I usually made all of my money. I was always, as I said, very independent. Although my father uh, had a farm and he worked, uh, I always wanted my own money. I considered that his money, but I wanted my money. Look at you. <laughs> and good for you. So when you were a kid, you farming, you doing all this work. What did you dream of becoming? When when you what did you say? When I grow up, this is what I'm gonna be. Well, you know, I'm a visionary. Even at that age, I was a visionary, and I had so many visions of things that I wanted to do. I know I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to see all the things that I read about in in books. You know, I was an avid reader. I was up at night reading books, just like most children, I suppose. But I wanted to see those things as far as a profession. I really don't remember having a profession. All I remember is I wanted to have money. And I would work for whatever I needed to work for in order uh, to get that money. So I had no big vision of becoming somebody. I just wanted to be to provide a service or do something that would help others while helping me. If that okay. makes any sense at all. <laughs> yes. Now, can you tell us? I was doing the research, and I, so many things jumped out at me. I was like, "Wow, where is Wentworth High School, and why were you chosen to integrate that school?" Uh, Wentworth High School is in Rockingham County. I was chosen because in high school, in elementary school, um, I guess not only elementary school, but my parents were servant NAACP uh, workers. And they did a lot in the community. At that time, it was a big uproar into, about integration. Um, and our leaders, our NAACP leaders, came and talked to my parents about needing someone because that the big issue that year in 1965 was to integrate uh, the high school. And they had heard that, uh, and I guess my girlfriend, Adam, we were, she was having uh, problems at school. And people wanted to fight her. I guess bullying was going on then, even although we, I had no concept of that. But on the phone that night, I told her that we were, and this is crazy now, but that we were too smart to fight, that we weren't going to mess up our bodies and our skin by fighting, that we were smart. We are going to use our brains to fight and our words to fight. Um, and she went back and told her dad that, we were not going to physically fight. We were going to mentally fight. And based on that, 
some kind of way that got out into our community. And uh, my thoughts are that I was chosen based on that conversation, that I would not be the person that would go to school and cause a big uproar. I would not be one that would be there fighting, physically fighting, but that I could go and resist the urges uh, to Ah. to come back they had done. Now, why did you uh, want to? I was a excuse me. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. No, I was just going to say because even with that, I was a member. I was a, the president of our little NAACP uh, formation there at our school in elementary school, and I was a leader in the 4-H club and a lot of different activities that I participated in. Why did you? Plus, I made great, good, great, I was straight A students. So. And why did you eat lunch? Why did I eat lunch? No, in a janitor. I I, I was researching for you. And Uh, I said, oh, my goodness. Well, that was the only place that I had uh, that I could have a friend to talk to that I had any peace. I wasn't welcome at the table with, uh, there was no one else to eat lunch with. Um, I never made friends to even go in to the cafe. When I went in the first time, everyone just kind of stared at me. No one offered an opportunity for me to sit with them uh, to have lunch or either I had to eat lunch alone. So, but the janitor and his wife at that time uh, were always there for me. If they would see me, they would ask how I'm doing. And I would go at lunchtime, I would join them. They were having lunch as well in their, in their little closet, which was probably about a Three by six, it probably wasn't big enough for all of us to be in it, but we were all in there. And that's where I would have my lunch every day. And oh talk to goodness. them and, and work, you know, they would talk to me, encourage me to keep going, not to give up. And we talk about why I was there. Uh, not about, because it was not about me. I'm not there for them, I mean, for myself, but for my people and for those people who are coming on behind us. My strong belief at that time was that I was doing good so that our people could have a better education, that we would be on equal grounds with the other people in in other races. Uh, I don't believe that now, but at that time I did. I was a strong follower of Martin Luther King and uh, equal, trying to have equality with others. Wow, what a story. um, Oh, my goodness. I was going to ask you, did any teachers or guidance counselors try to help you? I'm like reading this, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> well, they, you know, it's not that the teachers were all not trying to help. It was probably one of those passive kind of things that you feel no one is actually helping you. But, you know, they were not being very openly rude to you, the teachers. Um, okay. My senior year there, which we had other, other students there by then, and I did have some black friends, we had our first black teacher at that school. Um, and that was such a ray of of hope and light. Uh, although it was the same year uh, that other things happened, but I just, um, you know, you just suck it up and do what you had to do. I would go to school every day and do that. And the story that I wrote that you're probably reading from now is the first time I've written about that, the first time I've even talked about my experience there. My parents uh, have no idea. I had no idea of what I was going through and the pain and the anguish. Uh, as I said, it was, I tried to quit one time and have a conversation with God about that. 
And he said, you know, I've chosen you. No harm, no physical harm is coming to you, uh, and you will be fine. And um, and so I continued at that time. That was in about the middle of my ninth grade year when I was going to quit and go back to uh, the predominantly black high school or the all black high school at that time. Oh my but God! I and I, I wow, you, you that story alone. Now, what did you get your degree in when you were? You've done so much. What did you get your degree in at North Carolina State, and what attracted you to that major? Uh, North Carolina State, my degree is in higher ed administration, uh, and, of course, because that's what I was working in at the time, uh, higher ed. And uh, I, so that's I chose that particular field. My, my field has always been in business, my undergrad and grad. Uh, I have a business administration a MBA from uh, Virginia Tech and my doctorate from uh, North Carolina State, which is higher ed administration. As I said, I chose okay. that because the courses that I would take in that were similar to or led me, gave me the opportunities to do what I wanted to do in higher ed. Um, that led you uh, to vice chancellor, associate vice chancellor, vice chancellor, and moving on up uh, in that field, in that level. Wow, impressive, impressive. Now, is writing the most – you've done so much. you Army veteran, <laughs> your educational background – and now, you know, launching your own book publishing firm. Uh, when you look back, is writing the most satisfying career that you've had? Like when you compare it to the military and serving as an associate vice, vice chancellor of academic affairs at Fayetteville State University, and if so, what makes it the most satisfying? Um, the most satisfying thing about being a publisher is that it's mine. I own it. I can do what I want with it. Uh, it's the entrepreneurial spirit that I think I fought to find all of my life uh, with work, doing so many different things and always wanting my own money. Now, although I'm married, I can't I have my money. I got my retirement funds and, and all of that. I have a husband who's very, very supportive with his money as well. You know, I believe that his, his money is my money. Uh, but, um, <laughs> okay. I still, <laughs> but I still have that satisfying feeling that this is mine. This is Norma Tucker McLaughlin's business. It's called Chosen Pen, but it is still mine. I can take it in whichever level or wherever I want it to go based on what God has called me to do. And I think, again, that is satisfying because it is. It, God did call me into uh, this particular business. It wasn't one that I chose initially. I uh, said I had retired. I was uh here at home, enjoying life, uh, work doing my Bible studies, writing Bible studies, and uh, when I was called, or the, the burden came to me to start the publishing company, and that pub, that burden was simply not for me, but to publish to help other people tell their stories so that others can be healed. And wow. so that's what the publishing piece is all about for me. It's not necessarily um, a, a, to be to put published books. But there is a, a greater mission uh, for me behind that. To say I was called by the Holy Spirit into doing that. Were you in the military when you actually started writing yourself? No, in the military, all I did. I mean, I've been a journaler and writer, I suppose, all my life. Uh, but there wasn't anything that I would have published or put out there. In retrospect, I probably would have now, uh, but I didn't know any better at the time uh, that that was something that I wanted to do. 
uh, again, as I said, I was in the military. I went to the military right out of high school, giving up scholarships and, and all of that to colleges. Um, but again, it was, I've got to go. I've got to get away. I've got to go make something of myself. Uh, four more years, I'm still dependent on someone else, my dad, the school, or somebody. Uh, and that wasn't what I wanted to do. And I was ready to get out of Reevesville, Wentworth, Reevesville, North Carolina. <laughs> I, I told my parents, I said, I've done all I need to do here. It's time for me to go. So. I never even heard of it. Is it small? Like, have you ever been to, like, Chattanooga or – I'm trying to think of another town that's not a real big town. How would you? I've never even heard of that. How would you come? Is it like uh, five thousand so, people? So oh well, maybe more. Well, no, in the city, it may not be very much more than that because I lived out in the county. Because uh, the high school in the city was Reedsville High School, but what we had was the county high school. It is so small. My graduating class from there was only forty some people. Whoa! So Wentworth High was the county school but it was still very small. That tells you how small the county really is. And wow, 40. Um, yeah. But I rode past that school every I rode past it every day when I was in elementary school. I rode oh, past okay. that school every day going to my elementary school, Lincoln Elementary. So mm-hmm. can but, you tell off the shelf listeners about the two books that you authored, you know, you were inspired to start the publishing company to publish other people's books to help people heal. But can you t- tell us about, give us an overview of the books that you yourself have penned? All right. The first one that I wrote, um, which is uh, Free to Choose, Worthiness, um, is the book that I wrote. Well, it's really a, uh, a spiritual growth book that I wrote based on the Holy Spirit giving to me on the day that he called me to to become to publish books, um, I was in a Bible study that night with my ladies, and I had been telling or talking back and forth to the Holy Spirit that I'm not going to publish, I'm not going to write, this is not what I'm going to do. And that night he showed me, the ladies at my babe table came up as a book, and in all those faces um, were the titles of books. So the first book I penned based on that was a spiritual growth book entitled Free to Choose Worthiness, and each of those titles is a chapter within that book, which is Free to Choose Salvation, Free to Choose Forgiveness, Free to Choose Worthiness, uh, Free to Choose to Be a Child of God, and that's the very first book, and it had a journal that went along with it. Um, I was very. It was a very successful book at the time. I used it to write Bible studies and uh, to do Bible studies. Uh, I probably did over a hundred and some Bible studies based on that book alone, and served over a hundred and maybe two hundred women uh, in different studies uh, based on that book. Uh, after that, the next book that I did was, which was much later, um, I did several other Bible studies or devotional. Uh, on uh, free to choose to write, um, and it's, it's like my last ones. Of course, you know, is one my anthology that I just finished last year, or this year, beginning of the year. Is I've got to write. It's like fire shut up in my bones, and that one is based on the ladies that were around that group, and they are actually telling their stories, and which okay. I was very very excited about because I felt like I've actually done what God had asked me to do when I published that book. Now, how did you find the writers for the anthology? I've got 
to write. It's like fire shut up in my bones. How did you go out and find the writers who contributed to this anthology? The writers who contributed to the anthology are the same writers who sat around my table at Bible study. They're the ones that uh, most of them were there when God told me uh, they have stories that, that needs to be told. And they told their stories, and the fascinating part about this is their stories is creative uh, nonfiction. So you have to, it reads like a, you know, a truth, a story, but it is a, a healing piece for them because their story is within that. And it's amazing that they were able to write these stories because they've never written before. So we also had chosen pen writers groups uh, that came out of that. So we would meet weekly to learn the strategies and the concepts and the things that they needed to know how to actually write. And uh, so a lot of these pieces that have come together, when I look back on them, it's quite amazing. Uh, it had to be a God thing in order for a lot of this to have happened. Because now we're working on uh, Free to Choose Forgiveness with some of those same writers, uh, plus a few more. That's an anthology that should be out by the end of the year uh, as well. And how many how many stories are in I've Got to Write? It's like fire shut up in my bones. And is there a central theme to to it? Is it around writing, or is it that I have to tell my story? It's like fire shut up it's in my bones. It's six stories and three poems. And it, I've got to tell my story, but it, a lot of people think that it's a person telling their, their autobiography or something, but it's really, as I said, it's not written that way. Is some of is taking the facts of their story and turning it into a nonfiction story. That's why it's called creative nonfiction. It's actually taking the story or taking what has happened to them. Uh, probably the only one that's not creative nonfiction that way is my story. My story is more of an autobiography that's in there. But and the others are like uh, one of the ladies who wrote on. Um, um, let's see here. Her story is about getting married back in the day, tying the knot, and what she went through with doing that back in the 70s and how she actually found a person and things that happened with her throughout that. But it's told in a story format. Okay. And so you really don't know that it is her that uh, she's Uh, doing that. And another story, The Invitation by Nicole Smith, is a story about her and her divorce and things that happened trying to get a mate uh, during that time, but she wrote it as in a creative nonfiction. So it's not, you don't really know that it's her. I know that it's, it's her story, but she's telling her story and she's healing. The healing part of that that came for each of them was probably a surprise for me because I always thought that we were writing these stories for someone else's healing, but I think all of us were healed. From the stories that you we know, wrote, even then. Do you do you think that is sometimes when we are all writers or did, some people painters, different fields, it is not just for others, but we, we are, and to our own surprise or unawareness, maybe if we were aware it wouldn't be as effective, but um, we, it's actually for us. As we write or create, yeah. we're working through something. We're actually working through yeah. something, <laughs> and we yeah. we don't know it. So that yeah. might make it the yeah. most effective because we don't pump the brakes. We don't think 
we just think, oh, this is just, I'm just creating this novel, or I'm just, you might actually be working through something, but you don't know it. Yes. Now, you don't know it. Totally, it yes. And I agree. So I agree because sometimes in our when we were reading in our groups, you know, some of us would break down in tears if we were reading parts of our stories. Uh, or if it, I don't know where that came from, but as I said, the healing was taking place, yes. Now, you told us why you launched uh, Chosen Pen Publishing Company, but before we go into that, I wanted to ask you, because I served in the uh, in the Navy, how was that transition mm-hmm. in case we have listeners, in case we have listeners who served in the military and maybe they're still in and they're, they're in the process of transitioning back into the civilian world, just to leave them some tips or advice, because a lot of veterans struggle, and it's sad when I see, I don't think veterans get enough support. Yeah. Even if they don't have mental health or financial issues, but just even making that shift, it's so different, the military from civilian world. It's so different. At least I found it to be. It's sometimes it can be a struggle just transitioning back into the civilian world. Can you tell us, like for you, what it was like when you were serving in the Army, and how was that transition for you coming back into the civilian world? Well, uh, I'm an old soldier, so... Uh, so I uh, went in as a in, into the Women's Army Corps um, back in 60, 1969, and in 1972 is I think is when it became part of the uh, army, regular army. But that experience for me, and I really don't talk about it a lot, but it was probably one of the best experiences that I've had. Um, I went in not knowing anything, uh, had no absolutely no expectations other than leaving Reedsville, North Carolina. Uh, I chose the Army because it was the first departure date that I could choose. Uh, after having, uh, after my test, I had all every all the branches of the military trying to get me to join them, but I was one of the highest scores that they had at the time. But I, uh, as I said, I chose the Army because I graduated May 31st, I think, and they took me in June 26th. But I went in as a telecommunications specialist. Um, it was wonderful for me because it wasn't a segregated army, but I still found friends. All my, and it's sad to say, but I was so happy to have black friends. And that's where I started to develop friendships, a lot of friendships uh, with them that I still have today. Um, and so from that, uh, in basic training, I was a, a leader. I was chosen as a leader, so I, I really didn't have a lot of the issues that some of them had. Um, I was, as I said, I was happy to be there. Um, my duty station was in Fort Ritchie, Maryland, which is a little place nobody's probably never heard of. Matter of fact, the post is even closed now. But at the time, it was the underground Pentagon. Um, it was where they brought the president to stay. Uh, in case of uh, national disasters or wars or whatever, as now when he goes up on the plane. So my experience uh-huh. with that was, was very, was very. I mean, I had very good experiences. I met, I met my husband there as well. But um, I can't say the, the part when I got out of the military, I was only in for two and a half years. I said I joined the Army to see the world, fell in love, got married, and got out. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Uh, okay. So but did you have? Was it easy for you transitioning back? Yes, it was. Uh, when I got out, I had in my little town of Reesville. I came back to Reesville, and I had 
lots of people giving offering me jobs. Uh, there they weren't great jobs because at the time I hadn't even gone to school. I was right, you know, right out of high school, but I had people who offered all sorts of different of jobs. But wow. my biggest difficulty in finding jobs was I got married shortly after that and came to Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is where my husband's from, Fayetteville, Fort Bragg. And it was not difficult finding a job, but, you know, I thought I wanted, I was going to be able to find this really high-ranking job. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. And I, I wasn't able to find the type of job that I wanted. So ultimately, I went, that's when I went back to school. Uh, during that time, and I then we have uh, our monies from the military. I did all of my uh, education on my military money from undergrad through doctoral school. So Good that for was you. Good, Good for you. Good um, for you. But, and I'm glad you um, Yeah, so I'm just, I can't, and we have a lot of people who don't take advantage of what the military has to offer because there are funds for you to go to school, uh, for you to do some other thing. And, I, and of course, I'm at Fort Bragg, so I can tell you that I do know that there are a lot of people because my church and I, we always are out trying to, to give people or help people, especially those who are in the, uh, we're in the military because our church is made up of military people and military retirees, basically. So the desire and the want is there for us to help them in whatever ways we can, but and there are so many opportunities that people have them to to reach out. But again, we have those you know, with the PTSD and all the mental anguishes yes. that go on with that until they're not always able or capable of getting the things or going to or even understanding what it is that they may need. Mm. But you know, yes, and I appreciate yeah, yeah. I'm yes. Sorry. No, I appreciate what you do to help your ministry to help people coming out of the military. They serve their country, and today I feel like it's the the honor is in word almost only, that it, people really aren't supported enough when they come, especially if you served in a war. They're not really supported, I don't think, enough. Uh, I want to talk about the Chosen Pen Publishing Company. When did you start? We, we, we know why you, the Holy Spirit encouraged you to start it based on your experience, but when, I mean, why, when when did you start Chosen Pen Publishing Company? Well, I guess I would say 2013, because uh, I published my own book at that time. Um, the, my very first book I published that myself under Chosen Pen. Um, okay. But I did not, but then I published some of the other ladies' books that are in our group. Uh, also published, I think she had three or three books, and we all, just down through after 2013, various authors uh, I helped publish, and but I'm probably doing a lot more now, and since I guess 2017 uh, is when it really came back to fruition and doing things. Um, and I think again, the Holy Spirit came to me and said, "I told you to publish. I didn't say to publish your book, just your story, uh, but." Although in that book were stories, in my first one were stories from other authors as well. But to publish, there are still people waiting, people who need the story, people who are you are not serving by not publishing other people's books and other people's stories, not necessarily, but their stories. Because they always came to me as, as their stories and not necessarily publishing their books. So um, since, I guess, about 2017, 
I've really had the big push uh, to publish and to publish other people's stories um, and my own stories. Uh, in between that time, 2013 and 2017, I was doing some publishing, but not to the degree uh, that I'm really, really pushing it now. Because in 2017 is when I think I joined, uh, I found Joy Lynn uh, Ross with her publishing information and started working and reading and studying more about publishing. And so now since that t- time, I'm sorry, go on. No, go, no, go okay. ahead. You said since that time. And since that time, I've learned you know, so much about publishing and have been able to assist and to help and have apply what I've learned to other people. Uh, to get their stories out. Now, can you and tell us about sure the? Pro- I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. <laughs> no, you no, want you to finish your statement. You said and to make sure. Oh, to make sure that my big thing is that God has so many people who are uh, so desperately waiting for those stories that uh, that those stories get out to them. Wow, you know, you, a lot of times you don't see it that way as a as a writer. That that these stories may need to be told, that they may help somebody more than the writer will ever know. Can you tell us about the process of submitting work? Uh, can you tell us about the process of submitting work to Chosen Pen Publishing Company for listeners who might be interested in working with you? What's that process like? The first step is go to my website and choose uh, a time. Uh, you can uh, go into my schedule. And the first, you have a free consultation um, that we'll get on there. You can choose a time that's there, and we'll talk. Talk about your ideas, your thoughts, and see if what you have fits with what uh, Chosen Ten is about. And from there, we'll start. And I, you know, if we agree and we agree with each other, I'll tell you to just start writing. If you've already written, then uh, we will start from there and look at what you can submit your document, your manuscript also there, and we'll look at it uh, and enter into a contract. And after we looked at it, I'll have an editor look at it, uh, read the first few, few pages, the first chapter, to look at it and see how much work actually needs to be done, uh, and we'll go from there. But usually uh, we have a process, that's the process uh, that we okay. go through. How long is that process, and is there any cost involved? There is a cost after we have the initial uh, conversation. After that, as you can see on my website, we have different uh, offerings, different uh, prices that you can choose, uh, anywhere from $999 uh, all the way up to as high as you want to go, depending on what type of marketing uh, you want to do. Uh, and since you know, it's a big burden of mine, and Joylene probably won't dare want to hear me say that I do try to work with you on whatever, whatever your budget is. Because it's so important that if you have a word to get out, that it gets out. And y- yes, and that you're willing to work with people, that is good. What are some of the services, other than what you mentioned, you know, you, you come in, you submit, you go to your website, chosenpen.com, and then you, mm-hmm. uh, you, 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 set, you, you set up a schedule so that they can meet with you to discuss, you know, what they want to do, I guess the type of book, is it a, is it a fit, and then they go through the how much editing uh-huh. needs to be done, et cetera. Now, through your chosen pen writing groups, what are some of the services that you offer through through that? And do you offer any services to writers who don't publish their books to, through you? Yes. 
we have, uh, matter of fact, I've had quite a few young ladies or ladies who, who've come and probably already signed with someone else. Uh, but as I say, my whole burden is to get the word out. So if you have a story that has that God has someone waiting for, I would dare not offer the assistance to help you get that out. Uh, the, as I said, the money is not the object. Um, but for them who I do offer the services, I do workshops uh, on how to write, what you need to do to write. Um, now we're getting ready to do, I'm working on a workshop right now on dialogue. Uh, that seems to be a big problem that we're experiencing with our stories uh, now. The first one didn't have so much dialogue, but in order for the readers to be engaged in that story, I think they have, we have to learn how to put more dialogue in. So that's something I'm teaching on uh, at our next uh, ministers, I mean, our, not our ministers meeting, at our next writers workshop and uh, for this next group of stories. So I've taught on that, I've taught on how to write, what you need to do to write. Um, I've taught on journaling, whether you, you know, you may not want to write a book, you may want to write a, a, a journal. So different topics that we do cover. And then if I find within the group that there's a specific topic that needs to be covered, then I'll cover that as well. Now, is that offered through your consultation services? I was going to ask you about that next. I know you also offer book consultation services. Is that what's included in that? If not, what's included in the book consultation services that you offer? Okay, the first consultation, I said that's just to try to get a feeling for you, where you're going, what you want, uh, if you understand what the book publishing process is all about. Uh, and then the other consultation services, if you want me to be your literary consultant, I can do that. And that literary consultant can start with you and walk you through the whole process. I've had ladies that I've walked with from day one all the way through marketing. Uh, and that depends on what you want and the extent that you want that uh, for that particular service. Um, anything that you want that you need, I provide as a literary consultant, uh, I can provide. So you can tell somebody if the book, if does it need any, uh, it needs more work structurally, it needs more, like either more li- line editing oh. or uh, oh, those types yes, of things. Yes. Right, right. And, and then do you also and offer then I services? Have, I have offices. I was going to say, because I do have editors and copywriters and all that on my team as well. And do you also offer services that you look at? I mean, you tell a story because it's a story you want to tell, but every story is not going to sell. It, it may it may sell, and I, I, don't, I can't, after being in this industry for well over 35 years, that every story is going to find its reader. A lot of, I've read books that are, were amazing, but without the right marketing, no one knows it exists, or very few people do. And it can take a ton of marketing a day with so many books out to have your book mm-hmm, even be published. Mm-hmm. It, it can take so much right. work. Do you, in, the, in your consultation services, do you also look at the, the book and you can, I don't know if you, nobody knows for sure, but to let the writer know they might want to go back and add or change something to make it more marketable. Yes, I do, and unfortunately, yeah, a lot of people take that advice. Those people who think that God has given it to them and it's the only way it can go, they don't. And unfortunately, sometimes it becomes a coffee table book. But I try to tell people that it's not about you writing this book, but you've got to have an audience to read it. If you're just writing it to be writing it because 
you know, now you have a book, then that's fine. But if you're writing this book to reach a particular audience, then this may you may there's going to be some changes. There has to be some changes in order to be interesting uh, to your audience. And sometimes what people you? just you know have to define who that audience is in order to try to get that point across. You know, and when you write a book, and I'm glad we're touching on this. When you write a book, I would uh, try to really concept the audience. Unless you're just writing it for yourself and your family and your friends. Mm-hmm. And you could certainly sell, right. depending on how big that audience is of your family and your friends, you could sell several hundred books that way. It definitely mm-hmm. doesn't. But if you are looking to reach hundreds of people, and I know the average book today, I think self-published sells like 70 copies. And you might have to put in a good right. deal of work to get that. But if, you, if you're if right. looking to reach, I don't know, several hundred or a thousand people, um, then then you will have to define your audience, and you might have to listen to someone else, like a, like a Norma uh, McLaughlin, and really listen. And there's something in, in the artist that you can push back and, no, I'm not making those changes. I'm not. But if, again, this might be for somebody who's tuning in today. And uh, uh, can you share any tips from working with other authors, how an author could – kind of open up to uh, receiving some insider guidance and what they could change in a book to maybe make it more marketable when a writer's feet are dug in so hard. <laughs> you you like, you want to sell books? I'm trying to help you. And they're, they're, they they have dug in. They have dug in. Is there anything that, from your that writers can do to just loosen up a little bit to listen to a little bit of guidance? Well, I think, and I do try to talk to them. Uh, I try to talk to them where they are. As a matter of fact, I've been trying to have a conversation that we're talking about it now. Um, I've had this conversation within the last month or so with uh, if you, and again, the question is, where do you want it to sell? Why are you writing the book? You know, let's get back to the why. If you're writing this book for an audience, I don't care who the audience is. If it's if you're writing it for your church members, you got 50 church members, and this is all you want to sell to, then this is what we'll market. That's fine, because you can probably write what you have now, and you'll have 50 people in your church will probably buy it. If you're writing to a larger audience, if it's the same, if it's a book that you're not wanting in your church, but you want in all churches throughout the land, then let's talk about how the people in the churches throughout the land will take this book. Uh, you may not be able to say that this and talk about, and that was my particular issue, to one particular church. You can't market, you, if your book is for, say, the Baptist people, then the Baptist church, Baptist union, then you're writing to the people of Baptist union, then that's always going to buy your book. Um, if you are talking to people that you're wanting to draw in uh, to build the kingdom, then you have to either change the name of the book, you've got to go in and make this book readable, you're going to have to put in some dialogue, you're going to have to make it interesting, you just can't write a book of scripture. Uh, let's talk about how you can, uh, what the people need to hear and how you can couch that within a scripture. You have to tell some stories, maybe. Uh, but so just, again, what is it that you want to do? Who is it you're trying to reach? And once we come to that decision, usually it's much easier to talk about changes. 
within the book. Okay. Uh, and so then why you this book? Did you, right. Did you write this book for you or did you write it to build the kingdom? If you say God gave you this story, God gave you this book, if God gave it to you, he didn't give it to you for you. He gave it to you for to build the kingdom. So let's think about it and how you can go about building the kingdom. Because the kingdom, building the kingdom, I mean, we're already saved. We're already in the kingdom. So you, what can you write to draw people, the unsaved, into the kingdom, if that's what he told you to do? Mm. So sometimes it's just kind of mm-hmm. a matter of trying to talk to them about the why. Uh, they're doing ah it. yes, and, you and taking them step, step by step, and 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 not just starting step with the step. end, but step by step by step. Now, do you publish right. uh, print, and do you publish print or hard copy, digital and audio books? Uh, and what's that process I like? Do, if you do do all three, I do all three, but basically I do them uh, through whichever uh, Create Space or any other uh, print company that depends on the size of the print. Uh, that we need to do, but once we get it down, get down to your PDF file or your uh, MIDI files or whatever that you need to decide what you're going to to do, uh, then we can decide uh, how you want it done. Now, does Chosen Pen Publishing help authors with book distribution and book marketing? Yes, we do. Dependent um, again, because that can get into an expense. Uh, as I say, you have to spend money to make money, but it depends on how much you want. But we can help all the way. We have a package, that a, a marketing package, um, again, of different levels of marketing, from your social media pages all the way up through TV, uh, if that's where you want to put it. And, again, how deep your pockets are. And if you're, you think your, your audience is there and that's what you want to do with, with your material. Uh, but, yes, we do. Okay, okay. And then I also want to ask you, can you tell us, when we talk about book marketing, book distribution for those who are, who are maybe new to the book publishing, that's how you get into bookstores, and Ingram is a, a major book distributor, um, and I forgot right. the one who does the libraries, uh, Baker and Taylor, and then you have, you know, getting getting distributed to Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and the, 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 the digital uh, publishing. So those are... When I asked her, she helps the book distribution for all those different connections with Baker and Taylor, connections with Ingram, connections with the digital, uh, getting the book published yeah. on different different digital get it book on. publishing companies. We put it on all of the different marketing uh, media uh, from Amazon, Ingram, all, all of those, yes. Okay. Now, can you tell us, Based on, you started uh, Chosen Pen Book Publishing in 2013. You really ramped it up in 2017. Can you tell us about three key activities that you found to be hard, challenging for writers who you have worked with? Three things about book publishing you've seen present like three of the most major challenges, and how can writers overcome these challenges? I think the very first thing is in the writing of the manuscript itself is not to try just to write that first draft. Most of my writers want to write, edit, and do all that in that first draft, and you never get it written. But as I try to tell them, just write. Put the pen to paper, the fingers to the keyboard, or whatever, and just write. 
then that second draft, you can go back and start to doing uh, self-editing. And again, the set, learn self-editing. A lot of them don't know how to do that. Uh, there are lots of tools, Grammarly or whatever out there that will help them with that. Um, and learn how to use them. And it takes time and patience um, to get through that process, but you need to have done it three or four times yourself prior to sending it uh, to, to me, to have me send it to, an ed- to a professional editor because uh, that helps cut down your cost of editing as well. But um, first, get it on paper before you try to go back and do uh, in doing your outline, filling in your gaps, and, and editing, and don't try to self-edit the first time. The second part is also about editing, and that is choosing the right editor, the right type of editing, and that's your biggest expense is in editing. And so that's why it's so important to do your as much as you can yourself at the very beginning of your writing. But uh, choose an editor that will help you, will give you true information back, um, and not just take your work and do their editorial processes themselves and edit and publish your book. Uh, but go through that with a professional editor. They will do that. They will give you feedback, will allow you to make your changes. And usually that's a three-step process for us which is a time-consuming. A lot of people don't want to take that time. Once they get it written, they think it's ready to be published, and it's not. I mean, it may be, but nobody's going to buy it because it'll be so full of errors. But um, that next step, again, the editorial process is probably the next biggest step. And then it's the marketing. Uh, The book cover, the back cover, having something that is appealing with your title that people will choose. Uh, God may have given you that title, you say but I'm not always sure because if he did, it would be a catchy title that someone probably would read. Uh, so, you know, that's just me, but let's, you know, try to get something that is a catching. Even if you want, you want it. Oh, the biggest thing is, will it be in Barnes and Noble? Well, if it's in Barnes and Noble, you want people to look at it, to see it on the end or wherever they pull it out to, to be attracted to the book. And the cover is there to pull the eye to the book. The back cover is there for people to read, to want to read what's inside. And so a lot of people sometimes have a few little problems with that and want to put just, you know, words on the front or or whatever. Uh, But that's all part of the good marketing strategy is is just that. And from that, um, looking at the things, uh, your social media pages, a lot of people don't want to do that. And then setting up your business page, this is now a business, and a lot of people Mm -hmm. don't want to do that. But if you want to make any kind of money, uh, your book is a business, and you have to look at it as that because the book is probably not going to make you the money that you want. It's the uh, offspring shoots from that book, the other lines, uh, streams of income that comes from now you've been an expert in this field because you've written the book. Um, and that comes with the, the marketing and getting yourself out there uh, with the pre-launch, the book reveal, book cover reveal, uh, any of those things that we can do to get you into the public eye. Like I'm telling you, we got to show you in something at least seven to 12 times before anybody's going to remember your name, mm-hmm. even still, or your book club, but that they at least see your cover, uh, and it's an appealing cover and a cover that would draw attention, then people will remember that. 
um, I think I've named, I don't know, did I name at least three? You uh, definitely did. And I thank you. And you know what? You have to get, I was on, I interviewed on a, a, a big radio show in New Jersey years ago, and I said, where are all my book sales? I'm thinking I'm going to sell hundreds of books, and that guy was, he'd been 30 years in it. He said, oh, ma'am, you're going to have to do so many interviews and uh, uh-huh. so many things over and over and over. I don't care how many if a three million people listen to the show, you're gonna to have to keep doing it repetitively keep, and consistently keep, before right. you see those sales those sales kick in. It's not going you're not gonna do one T V interview or one radio interview and then the floodgates open. Generally you have That's to do right. it over and 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 then you start to see yourself get some traction. We are coming down to just a few minutes, but I would definitely want to t- touch on this because I have a blog at my website, and I'm telling you, it is a huge traffic puller. Now, you have a blog at Chosen Pen Publishing. How has blogging for authors who are looking for ways to get their, their books out there, get more traffic at their website, how has blogging helped to sell your books? Well, unfortunately, I'm not a very good blogger. Uh, I'm trying to do better with that. Because I tell my writers that they must blog uh, because that draws people to your website. And when I do blog, it's it's so much more traction. People do come to the website. They read. I'm getting ready to do a big piece now on unforgiveness um, because that's where my focus is right now. Um, So blogging is very important, and it helps get those short thoughts out there. Uh, Again, you can bring them back together at some point in time into a book or into a short story or whatever. But – I am remiss in doing a good job of that myself. I'm telling but you, I'm it going is a trap. Today, I'm going to do a better. I'm going to do a better job. <laughs> and I would recommend somebody if you can blog and put a new one up once a week. I'm telling you, watch. And if you promote that blog on your social media sites, and then I also use Outbrain sometimes to help pull in traffic. You'll see the difference. I'm telling you, my blog pulls in a lot more than just my website does by itself. Now, where can off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of your books and of your author's books, uh, Norma? And can you give us the names of a few of the authors you who you have published? Well, I've published right now. I have two authors coming out. Um, Mr. Mixon, James Mixon, uh, his book will be out the end of this I guess the end of this year, if not sooner, uh, from the inside out. Uh, also, uh, my husband's book, which is I try to give a plug for as often as I can, which is your daily holy scope. Um, instead of your daily horoscope, he has a 365-day book called Your Daily Holy Scope. Um, I have uh, another one of my great authors is um, – one of our single, well, she was single. She's gotten married now, Miss Nicole Smith. We've published, I think she's done six uh, books under uh, our title. And okay. one of them just came out uh, not um, uh, recently. She's also in the anthology. Uh, so that's been, I guess, my biggest focus this year, trying to get all those out. And, again, uh, all the stories that are in the, the anthology has also been, as I said, was my big focus last year. And working on, the, I think, that we have something like eight stories um, in this one, and we have okay. season writers in this one. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, Sharon U. L. Foster, who used to be one of the first black. Yet. 
Well, she was one of our yeah. first black uh, Christian authors. She hasn't written anything now in years, but she has written a story for me for this anthology. Uh, as long as Suzetta um, Perkins, I don't know if you know, she does uh, some mystery writing. Her name well. sounds to me. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Okay. She has. Well, she wrote in the other anthology as well, but she has a story in in this one. So I try to get some seasoned. Um, more seasoned writers in the anthology um, as well, and they are very valuable in giving support and information out to our our new writers. Where can people get but, copies of these books? Where are the, where are these books uh, available? These books on chosen ten uh, chosen ten dot com, and also at uh, Amazon on Amazon. Okay. Oh, we have had. Oh, last thing. Are you on any social media? And where can off the shelf listeners find you as, on social media accounts? I am on all social medias. You can find me at Chosen Pen on Facebook, um, Chosen Pen Publishing. You can find me on Twitter, uh, Norma McLaughlin. Uh, on, you can find me on Instagram at Norma McLaughlin. And is that it? Those are the three main ones, uh, okay. but most of them are under under Norma McLaughlin. Um, and if you want to go into my consulting services, uh, where I do counseling and uh, coaching, you can find me under uh, Chosen Path Transformation. Okay, Chosen Path Transformation. We have had the absolute pleasure of interviewing and connecting with Dr. Norma McLaughlin, and her last name is spelled M-C-L-A-U-C-H-L-I-N. If you want to Google her, Norma McLaughlin, again, it's M-C-L-A-U-C-H-L-I-N. But you can just go on over to her website, chosenpen.com, C-H-O-S-E-N-P-E-N.com, and check her out. She is uh, she's an Army veteran. She's served. As a, uh, uh, she's a former teacher, North Carolina. I mean, that's where a lot of her her roots are. And she's also co-pastor of New Life Bible Church and New Life Christian Academy. She's taught on the Navajo Indian Reservation in Dilkin, Arizona. And she again, she served as associate vice chancellor of academic affairs. Uh, at Fayetteville State University So we just have been honored to have her here We encourage you to support her And the authors who she's published Again, Chosen Pen Publishing And the website is C-H-O-S-E-N-P-E-N dot com Thank you to Miss Norma for her time And all the t- tips she shared If you came in midstream Once the once the show finishes streaming It'll be up in the archives You can go back and listen to it It is in its entirety And encourage you to share it with other readers, book lovers, and authors who might be interested in finding a way to get published because they might have a match there with Chosen Pen Publishing. If you listen to it in its entirety, you can hear Norma go through the process of how she does her author selection. So thank you again to Norma, and thank you to our amazing off-the-shelf listeners. As I always tell you, you are incredible. You're phenomenal. You are awesome. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Norma, I'll shoot you an email with a link when the show finishes streaming. Bye for now. Goodbye. Thank you for having me.